Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. We've, we've been praying and uh, stalking some of you on Facebook and all those things that you do to try to get to know people before you see them. And we've been so excited to come because we know that God is uh, working in our lives and he's working in this church. It's been fun to get around to meet several people. I've just been, we've been so blessed by the folks that we've gotten to meet and I can't wait to meet some more. Uh, Yesterday took a tour of the facility finally and saw all those little hideout rooms that aren't being used that are stored, all the crooks and crannies. I just got to say right off the bat, just just as we get started, uh, I was a bit disappointed to be honest with you. I'll just have to start off on that note and be Transparent and honest. I kept hearing about this ice cream shop. <laughs> and they said, yeah, there's an ice cream. I said, honey, did they say ice cream? This church has an ice cream. I'm going. I'm called. <laughs> Lord, I hear you calling me the ice cream shop store. Um, and so we came, and I was so excited to meet that, to see that room. And we went in, and yesterday, it, it's so awesome. It looks like an ice cream parlor. It's got, you know, if you've been there, probably you guys have been there a million times. But I was just in awe. And I thought, uh, this, is, this is heaven. I don't need to go anymore. This is it. This is this. And, and I walked around the corner, and I saw the freezer. And so at this point, I'm salivating. And you got you to just know me. And so I'm all about ice cream. And that's not an exaggeration. You can ask my wife. I think at the marriage supper of the lamb, it's going to be steak and ice cream. And that's it. So I'm looking forward to that day. But anyway, I love ice cream. And I, was looking, I walked around the corner and I saw the freezer just like they have an ice cream store. And you guys are being deceitful. Yeah. There was no ice cream in it. I don't know who's in charge of that ministry. But listen, if you're going to call it an ice cream store, put some ice cream in there. Let's do it. So anyway, no, uh, seriously, what a neat opportunity, cool setting uh, to have meetings and, and to put in, in the church context. I want you to know this morning that I believe with all of my heart that God has an incredible plan for His church, that's all of His church, and you need to hear me say this, God also, I believe with all of my heart, has an incredible plan still in mind for Cross Point Community Church. You've got to believe that because that's the nature of God. He's the one who created the church. He's the one who started the church. And I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open up to Joshua chapter 1. And we're going to read a little bit this morning and study what it means to discover His plan. What happens when God has a plan to do great things in the midst of a people? What does that look like and what do we need to be aware of? There's great, wonderful things that God has planned for our church, for this church, for your church, my church. And it's a wonder that comes only, watch this carefully, it's a wonder that only comes when God alone works in, among, and through us. That's the wonder we're talking about. We're not talking about a good show, we're not talking about a production, we're not talking about other things that may be impressive. We're talking about the awe-inspiring, life-transforming, miraculous things that God does in our midst when God alone can be responsible for doing them. Those are the things that I want to focus on this morning that I believe with all my heart, I hope you believe too, God specifically has planned for your church. These awe-inspiring things. You know, it's a little bit hard for some of us to imagine those. I think we live in a day and an age where churches, many churches, have failed to expect those wonders that God alone can do. 
And there's a lot of churches, let's be honest, it might have been our church at some times, it might have been mine, it might have been yours, but the, the majority of churches in America today, evangelical, Bible-believing churches, aren't really experiencing all that God has planned for them. We know that the church in America is in decline today. We know we've, we're losing a foothold in America today. And churches, my fear, my fear is that churches have, have relegated to not, not thriving as the church, the body of Christ, but just simply surviving in America today. If we can just get by without a split, if we can get by without being closed down, without losing too much of our attendance, keeping the, the, bills, the bills paid and the lights on, if we, can, if we can maintain the property or whatever it is, you know, those things are all well and good, and, and we should be concerned about those things. Don't get me wrong, but listen, that's not the goal. That's not where it ends. Like, if we can, if we can just get to survive, then we've experienced all that God has for the church. That's not all He has for the church. That's, that's scratching the surface of barely getting a hint of what God might want to do in the life of his church. I want to, you, you stay there in Joshua 1, if you will. I want to read to you a little bit of what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. And I have gotten to the age now where I don't dare try to read it to you without some help. So, being transparent again. Listen to Paul, chapter 3. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he, he's, he's, this is my prayer for you, church. Let's see what we can learn here. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, this was prayer, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may, now watch this carefully, this is Paul's prayer for Ephesus, the church, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, I don't know what your idea of the fullness of God looks like, but let's just be honest, it's big. Whatever the fullness of who God is, the fullness of what a church can know and experience of God, it's got to be a lot more than I'm accustomed to. It's definitely, listen, it's definitely a lot more than the church in America today is experiencing widespread, the fullness of God. That's his prayer. Now listen, this is a good church, but the church wasn't yet there because he says, I'm praying for you to experience this, the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, think, according to the power that works in us. And I'm going to skip over because the dialogue continues. And I want you to hear this part in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, until we all come to the unity of the faith. That's his prayer for the church. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. And that word means mature. To a mature, perfect man. To the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. The fullness of God. Here's an alarming observation. Write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. The absolute fullness of God today is not being experienced by the church. Today, we're settling for slivers and snapshots. Slivers and snapshots. A little slice of what God might be able to do in the church and who he is and what he wants. A little snapshot here and there. We got a glimpse of what, what it might look like. And, and, you know, sometimes we just stumble across those things. Sometimes we experience them out of genuine pursuit of God. and walk, But they're just, you know, they're like temporary seasons. And when, when, when are you and I going to walk into that place in the church where we can be where Paul wants us to be, just like Ephesus, and experience the fullness 
of God. All who He is. Well, why aren't churches experiencing this fullness then? Maybe why hasn't our church experienced this fullness, God? How does this happen? My conviction is that we fail to experience the fullness of God as a church when we fail to keep progressing forward during times of transition. During times of transition. And so the title of this morning's message is The Wonders of Transition. Transition isn't always one of those things we think is wonderful because transition comes just behind that other ugly word that we don't like as church members and Christians. I've, I've heard it, it's kind of a buzzword around here, I think, which is a, a, bit, a bit interesting to me. I've heard it mentioned several times. I've watched some of the titles of sermons. It's that word called change. You knew I was going to go there, didn't you? Do like this. You knew it. Yeah, change. So change comes. And then what happens is change is going to come, and then how we respond to that change is called transition. And when churches experience change, listen to me, which they will, how the church body, how the people of God, these disciples, the ones even like in Ephesus that Paul was praying for, how they respond to the change and ongoing progression of what God does determines whether they continue to experience the wonder of God. Am I right? It's true. That's the history of the Old Testament with the children of Israel. We see it over and over again. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. So we want to turn all the way back here to Joshua chapter 1 and one of the instances where they, they really do get it. From transition to transformation, how we handle change must be biblical. We're going to see that here. Let me just define the biblical change concept. The biblical transformation, if it, as it were. Change comes. Listen, you're not going to argue that, are you? Like, I think... If you're going to argue that change always has to come, I'm not sure what I would say to you. I would probably suspect you've been living with your head buried somewhere underneath a rock. I just learned, as much as I don't like change, our three teenage daughters left the house. They're all now gone to college or getting married or on their own. And Julie and I looked at each other this last year and like, where did they go? We're alone. We empty nested. Now, I knew it was coming for years. In fact, I was, I was counting the days down. Three teenage girls in the house at one time. You feel me? And uh, let's go. Time to go to college. Let's go. Find a boy. Got to go. And I thought I was looked so looking forward to it. And when it happened, we spent six months grieving. I'm not lying. Six months. I'm not exaggerating to you. I was not ready. The change came. Grandparents know. Change comes. Churches in America, no. Change comes. In marriage, change comes. Physically, change comes. I told Julie, I said, I think they eat a lot at this church, honey. <laughs> Ice cream shop, they're talking about all this food, steak dinners. I'm 55 and older, by the way. Steak dinners. I said, I think I could like this. I could get, I could get big here. She looked at me and said, no, you won't. <laughs> See, change is going to happen, right? Change happens to our body. It, it deteriorates. Everything's breaking down in life, and change is going to come. So change, we have no choice when it comes to change. The question is, what do we do when change comes? We either transition according to that change, or we refuse to. But that choice is ours, isn't it? And so that's the key. The key is in the transition. 
And what I want to show you today is God helps us in those times to see what he's doing so that, watch this carefully, so that our transition, so that our transition will lead to something called transformation. So that as God leads us to places where we have not been, to places where we cannot otherwise go, and we adjust and make the transitions that are sometimes so uncomfortable, but absolutely necessary, watch what happens. God changes us, and we are transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. Hey, that's good. That's God's plan. That's the, hey, that's the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. That's the fullness of God as the church does that together and experiences it. It's a wonderful thing, transformation. So how do we get there? I want to show you three keys. We're going to read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now I have an hour and a half to preach. Isn't that what they said? Okay, well, you'll have to stop me then. Chapter 1, verse 1, Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying... Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness, this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, in verse 6. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all, I like that, to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Let's just insert transformation right there. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. And of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And what we want to see in this passage is how God leads the children of Israel in a time of change through transition, ultimately to what? Transformation. That's right, transformation. There's three things that happen when this transition to transformation occurs. Number one, it begins when we remember God's promises. Listen, there's some change coming in your life. There's some change certainly coming in the church. I would say the church that's without a pastor, looking for a pastor, it's a pretty given fact that you're going to experience some change. Even just having a new pastor's change. Okay, so the change is coming for the church. We, we know whatever that might involve, there's change in your life, whatever it is. And you're facing this. You are, in a sense, on, on the, the brink of the Jordan River. And you, God's calling you. And he said, listen, I've called you to do this in this change. You can do this, but you have to make some transitions. You have to, let's first go back and remember what I've told you. Remember the promises of God. And that's what, what happened here. God said, listen, in uh, glasses again, in verse 4. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, going down to the sun, shall be your territory. 
Well, what's that a description of? Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. You see, when you remember God's promises, it puts circumstances into perspective. You're facing a set of circumstances, and somewhere in there is change, and how are you going to even how are you even going to perceive that change? What lens will you look at it through? Well, the first lens before anything else must be the lens of what has God done? What has He promised? What has He said to me in the past? What can I rely upon Him for? And that's what God's teaching them. You remember what I said to Moses? In fact, turn back there to Genesis chapter 15. I hope you brought your fingers today because we're going to use them a little bit getting through the Bible. Um, Genesis 15. Let's just look at it. Verse 17. And it came to pass, God was speaking to Abraham, when the sun went down and was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven. I'm in Genesis 15, 17. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and Rephaim. The Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, and the Fleabites, and the Tickbites, all the other bites... Because I've given them all to you, to your descendants. I've given you this land. Now, can you imagine being the children of Israel? We're going to talk about this in a minute. But on the non-promised side of the Jordan, looking over into the promised side of the Jordan, and being reminded by God, remember what I've said to you. As you transition through this change, know that I have promised this land from these borders to be all yours, and no one shall stand against you. It it has to do with a promise that God made because it reveals what God plans to do. That's what God's promise is to do. This is the key. Circumstances are brought into focus by the promises of God. It leads us to experience God. Wait a minute. Experiencing God. You mean like to know Him? To like have an encounter where you walk away and say, that was time with God. I know Him. You know, I know a lot of Christians today who are honest with me and saying, yeah, I've worshipped God, I've served God, I've been a member of a church, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't really know if I know God. I, don't, I can't point to a real experience where I've had with God, where God was God. I hope there is, but I, but I don't know. See, what these are, change, are the opportunities for God to say, here's what I want you to do. Step into this area that you need me for. Watch this. So you can know me. God is found in his work. And his promises reveal what he wants to do in his work. I mean, think about it. It wasn't Old Testament plan. What is God doing in the life of Israel? He's preparing a land for them. He's pulling them out and separating them as a people, as a nation. He's giving them the law. 
and he wants for them to be a nation in the land specifically that represents who he is so that the rest of the entire world can look to the nation of Israel and say, oh, that's, that's who God is. But to do that, they have to be transformed. And to be transformed, they have to transition. And that means remembering God's promises and bringing into focus what he plans to do. Shows us how to experience God. Listen, change and transition has faith element built right into it, okay? We're going to have to trust God when it comes to transitioning. I wish, as a pastor, I could lay it all out for you sometimes, or, or even just as a husband to my wife or a father to my children, lay it all out. This is exactly what God's going to do, and this is exactly how it will happen, and here's the backup plan, and here's how we know it will happen. This is our assurance. But God doesn't lead that way. Listen, are you hearing me? God doesn't lead that way. So don't expect it. Don't look for it. What's your goal? Is your goal to be comfortable or is your goal to be transformed? Because listen to me, church. They both can't happen at the same time. I wonder how many in our own lives. You take some inventory. Do a quick introspection. How much of the effort that you expend on a daily basis, the, the resources of your life, do you utilize engineering the circumstances so that you stay comfortable? Now, only you know the answer. I'm not here to judge you. I have to look at my own life. But you need to think about that. All this thinking, fretting, all this effort, Spinning my wheels, spending money, arguing, discussing, planning, searching on the internet. All, what, how much of that is in your life you're intentionally doing to make yourself more or as comfortable as you are now? Hey, listen, that's a convicting search process right there. What would it look like if we spent all, as a church, all that energy and all those resources instead of trying to engineer things and shove things and pry things and, and manipulate things and do so that we can keep being comfortable? If we just gave up on that and instead if the goal was transformation, what if we began to put all that effort and resources into transitioning to where God's leading us to go on a constant basis and stepping out in faith and where to trust Him and how to trust Him and, and how to follow His Word and doing those things that are uh, unbelievable and, and we've never seen before and uncomfortable. What if that was our goal? Well, I'll tell you what would happen. The church would experience the fullness of God. It shows us how to experience God. And finally, to turn back to Joshua chapter 3. Remembering his promises it gives us confidence in his provision. Remembering his promises gives us confidence in his provision. Now I want to spend a little time here. We're going to look at Joshua 3 briefly, and then I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So get ready. Might move your fingers around. Watch this. I'm going to start in chapter 3 in verse 2. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. They're about to cross the Jordan River. Officers are going through the camp of the people. And here's they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. You, yet there shall be a space between you and it, 
about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. Now watch what he says. Put your finger right there. Look at me, if you would. They're about to cross the Jordan River. They're about to obey, transition. It's about to happen. And here's what he says. Remember God's promises even when you go. Watch what. Take the Ark of the Covenant and let it go before you and let it stop right there in the middle of the Jordan River until everybody passes through. That's an interesting commandment. What is God really doing? Think about it. Take that in your camp, which is most clearly identified with the, watch, the presence of God. Not just the presence of God, but also the past power of God. You need to think about what's in that ark, the Ark of the Covenant. There's three things that were in there. And each one of them represented a time and an instance where God showed up and revealed exactly who He is and came through for the people. And so here, as you're crossing this river, take that physical manifestation of my faithfulness, my holiness, my presence, and put it right there in the middle so that, watch this, every single Jew that walks by remembers, oh, I remember what God did. I remember who He is. He's right here with us. You see, that's the only, listen, that's the only way you're going to tread into the unknown. Because God's going to call you and He's going to call me to some places that I just don't have it in me to convince you to go. You don't have it within you. You don't have enough of it. Natural strength to go where God wants you to go. But it's supernatural strength that comes from remembering God is faithful and He's promised to give us this. He's promised to come through. Can you imagine? Three million Jews. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll share with you quickly. My mind's funny, so I just share these things with you partially for comic relief. Partially so you get to know me. I wonder, could you imagine being the priests? First of all, their first step into the Jordan River was wet. It dried. The people crossed over on dry land, but not the priests. The Bible records that they splashed in. <laughs> their first couple of steps were, are you sure, God, really? Because I'm getting wet now. Right? Can you imagine being the priest? And then, there they are holding on their shoulder the poles that hold the Ark of the Covenant, and three million of their brothers and sisters have to cross over. Could you, I'd be like, let's go, let's go, hurry, hurry. There's a big wall of water, miles high, raging river right behind me, and I'm standing in the middle, come on, come on, come on, come on. let's go. Change the diaper later, let's get, get the kid on the other side, let's go, let's go, let's go. But they didn't do that, did they? Because they're holding on to the faithfulness of God. They're holding God's presence with them. And that's what he's promised. Now, some of what they might have remembered, just, just, just to give us some idea, because you may not have much to draw upon, I may not have much to draw upon. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is part of what God has just recently done for them. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So this is reference to the 40 years prior that they were wandering in the, ch- in the wilderness. Remember? Their forefathers didn't want to go into the promised land because the giants were too big. 
So God said, fine, you're not going. Wander in the promised land. That entire generation died, except for Joshua and Caleb. But this is while they were wandering. So these were the kids. This was the next generation that came up. And here's what they remember. They remembered the promise and what God said. Verse 3, so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by the word, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. They remember God's guidance. Do you remember the children? This was, the wilderness was a place they didn't know, but God was faithful even then. You remember he provided a cloud and during, during the time where they needed to know what to go, God, they would camp, and God would literally raise up a cloud, and they would pack up camp, and God would move the cloud through the wilderness, and they would follow the cloud, wandering through a place they'd never been. The only way they know to go is because God provided the cloud to lead them. When the cloud stopped and settled, they settled down and camped. God provided every form of guidance. They never needed to worry about, is this the place to go? Is that the place to go? Will this be dangerous? Will this be safe? God always provided that with them. And you know what? God's blessings come in multiple fashions. It's never just one blessing. Have you ever been to the desert in Egypt and Jordan? Anybody ever been there? Go. It's like practice for hell. Can I say that on the radio? It's hot. There's no cloud. That's a cloud. There's no rain. See, God didn't just provide direction. He provided shelter. They didn't scorch. The babies survive because they can't survive in that kind of heat without some shelter. And then at night, same thing, right? The pillar of fire. How do we know where to go? The fire led them. It illuminated literally in the darkness. Can you imagine three million people groping in the darkness, not knowing where to go, a place they've never been, and all of a sudden this huge column of holy fire shows up and begins to show them right where to go? That's a sense of assurance, right? Okay, I think we can do this. This is safe. But again, God's blessings are manifold. Not only did it provide illumination, but there's something else about the desert. I've been there at Petra in the middle of the night. It's cold. It gets really hot in the day, and it gets really cold at night. See, God cared for every one of their needs. Not only did he provide illumination, he warmed the ground that they slept on. He provided warmth. How do they even know how to pack up or or, or move about in the middle of the desert with no illumination but what God provided? I did some, a little study, some research years ago. There was an army general who was a logistics general, and his specific skill set was planning large-scale missions. And so he was very good at figuring out what needs to support a large group of people and the logistics that are involved in that. And he did a study. He researched this all you know, from scholars and, and historical accounts and whatever he could find. And he postulated this. The three million people, roughly, that were in the wilderness, having need of food, would need 1,500 tons of food every day. Every day. That's two freight trains a mile long each, full, bringing food every single day into the middle of the wilderness. That's a logistical challenge. 
God did it by every morning providing manna that we just read about. And not only did it provide manna, they didn't have to wait in line to get to the last car of the train. It was there for everybody, all the time, instantly. Listen, if you take nothing away from this today other than this, God is faithful and He is good to His people. So when He makes promises, they're promises to bless us and to care for us beyond what we even know we need. They needed water. I read they needed 11,000 gallons of water a day to survive in the desert. That is a freight train with those liquid tankers, 1,800 cars long every day. That's a lot of water. That's, that's heavy. How would you even do that back then in a place where there is no water? God said, strike the rock. Speak to the rock. And they had all the water they ever needed. God's guidance, God's governance, He provided for them. I want to show you perhaps the greatest miracle in all the Bible. You ready? Want to see it? I'm not going to show you unless you tell me. You want to see it or not? Okay, check it out. Verse 4 shows God's goodness of His promises, His provision. So your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You know, that means a little bit of bud extrapolation and interpretation here. That means that they didn't need a replacement of shoes every other day, like you would think they would need wandering through the desert for 40 years. Feet didn't even swell. The indication there is you didn't need repair to your shoes or to your feet. They wandered for 40 years without need of shoes. Guys, I have seen my wife's closet. There are more shoes in there than the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the ocean. Listen, if it were my family traveling through the wilderness, we'd have to have 18 freight cars just to carry her shoes. Is I the only one, guys? I don't know what she does with them all. How could some one person need so many shoes? I'm not. We have gone without food. We have gone without a lot. We have never gone without Julie's shoes. So just to let you know where that that's a miracle. These guys didn't have to keep replacing shoes and buying shoes for their wives. God provided for every single need. That's the lens that I want to challenge you to view your change and transition through. Now turn back to Joshua 1 with me, the second point. So it begins when we remember God's promises. It prospers, what? This journey through transition prospers when we obey God's word. When we obey God's word. I want to just, I don't really don't care about the vote and all that right now. I really care about you understanding this. Prosperity comes from obedience of God's word. There was a lady once in a church of mine that I pastored who thought I was a little bit too focused on what you have to do to follow God. She wanted me to focus on all the easy stuff and that you just enjoy God all the time and 
sing Kumbaya by the fire. I don't know what she wanted, just to never do anything but enjoy God's. And so one time she came up to me and said, Pastor, I counted in your sermon this morning. You used the word obey 32 times. You know what I said? I must be preaching the word then. If you want me to preach Dr. Phil, find somebody else. If you want the greatest self-help and the tricks to successful church growth, get somebody else. All I know is what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is about experiencing the glory of God, and you just simply cannot do it without obeying His Word. You can't. And frankly, I don't want to. He says, obey. Look what he says to Joshua. Could you imagine? Joshua, you're going to have to lead all these people. Moses, Moses didn't get to do it. It's a huge mantle. Well, what do I do, Pat? What do I do, Lord? How do I know I make sure I lead these people right? How do I make sure we're prosperous in this transition? Look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do. Mark that right there. Observe to do according to all of the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. That's God's word. First of all, he says, observe to do it. That that word observe there means to to keep or protect. Do all you can to preserve, to keep, to protect doing God's word. To do. By the way, that's the job description of the leader. To work diligently, tirelessly to protect, to keep, to maintain in the people of God that we are doing what God commanded us to do. Nothing else matters. Because look what he says. If you think something else matters, read this and tell me what you think. Do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And then he says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Don't make scripture say whatever you want. Don't justify what you want to do in finding little paths of least resistance. Don't find the mushiest version you can to make it say what you want and do what you want. He says, don't even turn to the right or to the left one iota. Now watch the last phrase. Look at it in your Bible with me. It says, that you may prosper. How do you prosper? That you observe to do all the commandments, that you don't turn to the right hand or to the left, that you always maintain doing what God's Word says to do. Here's the really exciting part. It's not as tough as you may think. We don't have a complex formula of what to do as a church this next year. We don't have to be rocket scientists to figure it out. I don't even have to be that good a leader. What we have to do is Left foot after right foot every single day do exactly according to the word of God. Don't stray to the right. Don't stray, certainly don't stray to the left. (laughs) You can say amen right there. It goes right there. Amen. Okay? Now watch. We've heard a lot about this prosperity gospel in Reading. If you just obey God, the Bible says you'll be prosperous. Get whatever you want. Lots of money. No sickness. 
large bank account, big cars, whatever you want. I'd like to find the guy that started that. Just give me two minutes. I don't think I'd do any physical damage. I just want to go to this passage with him. I want to say, listen, whoever you are that might mislead God's people, you don't understand what that word means. Prosper. It's really not that difficult. To prosper means to properly understand with wisdom. That's a far cry different than your bank accounts will be full and you'll get whatever you want. No, the prosperity that we want, the prosperity we need in times of transition, and the prosperity God's Word promises to us is that which we get when we obey Him that brings clarity of understanding and wisdom and perspective. We get to see what God is doing and what He means when He says it, and we know what choices to make. I'll take that any day over a large bank account. See, the prosperity is part of the ongoing journey of transition. It begins with remembering His promises, but then once I'm into it, how do I keep going? What do I know to do tomorrow and next week and the next year? How do I know what that is? Because as you obey God's Word each step, every step of obedience brings clarity, and it prospers you wherever you go. Joshua, you'll know where to go when you get there. You're not going to know now, but you'll know where to go when you get there because you will have obeyed me every step of the way and I will have given you understanding. And you will have seen me. Oh, that the church would know God like that today. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. The transition process prospers, prospers when we obey God's word. Now here's a natural question. Why God's Word? What's so special about this? Why is it just this that we have to follow and obey? I want to show you perhaps some of my favorite passages, two of them. We're going to do this quickly. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 with one hand and turn to Genesis chapter 2 with the other hand. That's tricky, Pastor. I know. You've you got to get really good at it, though. Then it's second nature. Some of you are better than me. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 2. Talking about God's word, what's so special about that? Why do we need to obey that? Why do we need to keep that central? Look at verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Perhaps you're familiar with that passage. It says about the Bible, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? What's the purpose of this profitable doctrine, correction, etc.? Verse 17. That, so that, the man of God may be complete, mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scripture is given to us for these things that it does in our lives so that we would grow in maturity and we would be successful in what we do for God. That's why he gives us the word. Now I want you to look and focus on this one word, this is all we have time for today, given by inspiration. Underline the word or mark the word or take notes concerning the word inspiration. It's the Greek word theonoustos. It's made up of two roots, theo, 
meaning of God. And the noustos part comes from the pneuma, which literally means wind or breath. It's also the word in the New Testament used for the spirit. It's this idea that something moves and blows through, like breath, just comes out. The scriptures are literally God-breathed. Did you see that? Well, the natural question becomes, what does it mean to receive something that is God-breathed? And for that, we turn all the way back to the Old Testament, to the very beginning, and we look at one of the first times that we have evidence of God breathing, and we see what happens then. So we turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and we read in verse 7, God is creating man, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and now watch this, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then man became a living being. When did man receive his spiritual capacity to connect with God? Right then. When? When God breathed into him the Spirit. Breathe there is the Hebrew word neshema, and it means the same thing. It's the breath of God. You might say it's literally the exhale of God. When God breathes, it's the only source that gives God life. The Spirit of God dwells within you, and then the Word of God carrying the life of God comes in, and the Spirit that's dwelling and living within you utilizes the Word and begins to do things in your life that you could never experience apart from it. Bring conviction and correction, and listen, inspiration, and peace, and joy. Boy, I'd like to have some peace in my life. Pastor, this, this world's crazy. My job, my family, I just would give anything for a moment's peace, real peace. It's God life that you're looking for. Listen, I got an idea where you might find that peace. You can't find it anywhere else. It's from God. But oftentimes, He gives it to you as you inhale, as you receive, as you read God's Word. That's what I believe. That's why God's Word has to be so central. My life, your life, and particularly the church. Because we don't know what God wants to do and can do. We need the life of God, the Spirit of God, the movement of God. We need the perspective that God gives only at times when we obey His Word. And you can't obey it if you're not reading it. And I want to argue, I want to argue with the guy that says, and this is the guy inside of me sometimes, that says, but I already know all of God's Word. Come on. You see, it's not, it doesn't say 
the knowledge of God's word brings God life. Knowledge is a great place to start, and we, we are to be students of the scriptures. But it's when we read it. It's, it's when we quote it. It's when we pray it over one another, when we speak it, when we take God's word in its written form and we begin to internalize it as it's being literally God breathing it into our lives. You see, sometimes when it comes to a decision and you don't know what to do, it doesn't help just always to know the right verse. Sometimes going back and reading it gives you clarity. God speaks. Have you ever been there? All of a sudden, the verse comes alive, and God's will becomes clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't memorize it. Of course, God's word, the more it's in your heart, the more it does. But you can't ever get away from reading Scripture. It gives us, it's the only source that gives us God life. Secondly, it's the only source that provides perfect nourishment. I don't have a lot of time here, but if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, that's that verse that talks about. I'll read it. If you read along with me, that's fine. For, for, for by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Writer of Hebrews, in a sense, rebuking these Christian followers and saying, For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Constant intake and being nourished, not just the milk of the word, I like to say not just the ABCs of God's word, but the deeper things. How does it all fit together? What are the mysteries? What are the keys? All right. Back to Joshua 1, and we're going to start to wrap things up. Joshua chapter 1, we are learning from the children of Israel how to respond to change when it comes in terms of transition. How do we transition so that we receive transformation, therefore seeing the wonder, the fullness of God? Are you all with me still? If you're with me, with me do like this. If I've lost you, you can do like this. It's okay. <laughs> I get you. Sometimes it's just hot, you know? All right, back to Joshua. Maybe you can catch up on this third point. All the way back to Joshua. And turn now to Joshua chapter, let's do chapter 3. Finally, it transforms us when we experience God's wonder. The real transformation comes when we experience God's wonder. Now, we don't have time to read it all today, but if you were to read chapter, even backing up chapter 2 to build the context, there was this lady named Rahab, and she was a harlot. And when the children of Israel crossed over into the Jordan, getting ready to take their first city, Jericho, which we'll save for another day, the spies had gone before and stayed in the harlot's house. You know what a harlot is. I don't have to explain that, right? There's, right. Okay, so this is like the person who is most clearly not godly right? She is most clearly in need of salvation. She's not only a pagan, an Amorite, she's also an Amorite prostitute. And that's the place where the, 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 two, the spies come in and they settle in there. And she says, listen, I've heard of what God has done for you, and we're afraid. This God is real, and he, he works in you guys, and he's going to wipe us out. 
And the spies say, listen, you hide us. When we come back, if you'll hang this scarlet thread from the window, you and all your family will be spared from destruction. (laughs) See, this is where you kind of really kind of put things together and know God's word. When have we ever read about the red stuff that hangs from a door frame, or a window frame in this case, that when destruction comes for all, only those with the red stuff are spared. Passover. Isn't that, a, isn't that similar at least to Passover? Because of her faith and belief in their God, she would be spared. And of course we know the result is she was spared. It shows His grace. Now listen, here's what I want to show you. Did God have incredible grace for Rahab? She was saved in all of her family. He did. He did. She was saved. Hebrews 11 tells us by her own faith she was saved. Was that a miracle? Was that a wonder of God? Absolutely that was a wonder of God. How did she, how did practically this wonder of God come about? It came about when God's people, when God's people decided to obey God, trust Him, and follow Him. And as a result, watch this church, you don't want to miss this. As a result of them experiencing God's will, He reveals His grace to those around them. Hey, that's what the church is supposed to be about. As a result of us transitioning through change, That when we do, when we obey, when we prosper and know what God wants us to do, listen, what happens is God's grace begins to be revealed in those in the lives around us here in Reading. Now I've got to wrap up. I had had more, but it's hot in here and I think you might want to get home. So they partnered in his work. You got to read this sometime. Find out she was an Amorite, Rahab. This is what you learn when you go back there in Genesis. God had been working in the lives of the Amorites for 400 years trying to get them to repent. That's the reason why Moses, Abraham, couldn't go in. He was still working on the Amorites. He was, God did not want to destroy the Amorites. He was patient with the Amorites. And some of them got saved in the last hour because this group of people joined God in His work and God had them right there at the last moment at just the right time to reveal His wonder. And if you ever question whether that truly was a wonder, I would encourage you to study Rahab's Lineage. She married a guy named Salmon. They had a kid. They had a kid. They had Jesse. And Jesse had King David. Did you know that Rahab was the great great grandmother of King David? The prostitute. The harlot. The pagan. That's a wonder of God. You know what God did with King David? All because he was able to use the children of God in their time of transition. They said yes. They transitioned. 
and God began to transform them. And as a result, God was able to work. One final piece about Rahab, and then we'll close. You also find her in Matthew. Matthew goes on in the very beginning of his book and lists the entire lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And of course, we know that Jesus is in the line of David. So that means that Jesus was also in the line of Rahab. Wow! You see what God does? From the worst of the worst and the most needy and helpless to the king of the universe by his grace. And he uses people who choose to respond to change through transition and allow themselves to be transformed. That's when Crosspoint Community Church will begin to experience the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we bow our heads and close our eyes and we just worship you. We've looked at your word and heard you speak and reveal yourself this morning. And I don't know where you are this morning, but as you're praying to God, perhaps like Rahab, you, you've never had the chance to believe. And God's been patient with you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you for me. And today it's become clear to you that you need what Jesus did on the cross to be forgiven so that you can go to heaven and know God. And like Rahab, you want to believe today. Believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if that's your heart, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just trust Christ as your Savior right here, right now. Jesus, I believe you came to the cross, the Son of God, and died not for your own sins, but for mine. And I need forgiveness. Thank you for dying for me. I believe and I trust you. Now in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. We're going to take this time, so don't feel like we're rushing off. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This is you praying to God. I'm just here to help. I want to invite you to come to the altar. And listen, I'm not not satisfied until every person that's heard from God is at the altar this morning. I don't know what you heard, but you just need to take a few steps, just today, just this one time, just take a few steps, come stand, sit in the front row, kneel, whatever you want to do, and just do business with God. Just say, yes, Lord, what I've heard you say today is what I want to do. It might be you need to trust Christ as your Savior. It may be you need to be more obedient to God's Word. You want to deal with change differently. You need help from God. This change, this transition, show me now, show me. I'm going to invite you to come right now, right where you are. Please, deacons, you start, you lead the way. Come to the altar just for a moment. Everybody who's hearing from God, come to the altar right now.